All right, y'all, the final four set. Today's show is sponsored by Action247.com, Tennessee's only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Number two, Villanova takes on number one, Kansas. And then number eight, UNC, UNC takes on number two, Duke. That is a UNC-Duke meeting in the final four. It's never happened. We're all super excited about this. And Tennessee's favorite local sports book is cooking up some Final Four parlays. If you bet $50 on the Final Four under Action 24-7's actions, they will reward you with an extra $15 free bet if it hits. Did you know with Action 24-7, you can gamble with cash? You can go deposit cash at one of their 100-plus partner locations. You can win a big bet, and you can pick up your winnings on the same day in cash. Make sure to use code DADS100, though, because they will match half of your first deposit up to 400 bucks. That means if you deposit 800 bucks, they will give you 400 bucks on top of that. Use code DADS100 for that and go to action247.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Orca Coolers. You know what season it is right now? It doesn't matter because it's dad season year round. You could save 20% at orcacoolers.com. If you use code dad season, that is 20% with code dad season. If you want to get a roto molded cooler or one of the cool tumblers, maybe you want to go for the teams in the final four. You want to get a tumbler or a cooler with their logo on it. Go to orcacoolers.com. Check it out. They have those whiskey barrel tumblers everybody loves only at orcacoolers.com. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. If you are a distillery, a bourbon group, maybe you're a store, maybe you have a podcast, and you want laser-etched glassware at wholesale prices, make sure you reach out to our friends, Carson, Janie, Vicky, all the family over at distilleryproducts.com. Go to their website. They also have some awesome swag. They have those mirror tumblers. They have all sorts of things like flasks and bar tools. Check them out at distilleryproducts.com. Tell them the dad sent you. Zeke, I know we have guests and it is rude to make our guests wait in our house, but is there anything you want to tell me before we start this show tonight? You know, I'm just happy to see some old friends. I think that's the best part of whiskey and sharing it, right? Not to be cliche or anticlimactic, but end of the day, when you appreciate simpler things, why not? You're talking very slow tonight. I will say that you're very slow. You're very pronounced. That long pause after I asked you if you had anything and that's what you came back with. I think that was the most anticlimactic thing about it all. Like I was waiting for something good and you were just like, yeah, Bo, I got nothing. I spent a full day of work and then two hours doing a continuing education on implicit bias. If I'm not my normal humorous self, it's not my damn fault. I mean, you're biased about a lot of things. I'm not like, there's a lot of stuff that you have set up that have to be done your way. And I think your bias in the world is that anybody who does anything different from you is wrong. No, I just got a handful of things I'm picky about. You know that. everyone my name is john edwards with me as always is zeke baker and together we make the dad's drink of bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day it is like homecoming and i know he was going out to other shows and 
kind of the way that we feel about this. It's not like a Tonight Show Letterman thing. It's like we like to bring people in when they have something new to say because we like to encourage the community to go listen to the other shows when they're on there. So he hasn't been on other shows in a little bit and we're bringing him back in because we miss him. Along with his CEO, the man, the myth, and the legend, the awesome team behind Old Elk, we have Greg Metz, Master Distiller Extraordinaire, and Luis Gonzalez, the CEO of Old Elk. Thank you both for joining Dad Drinking Bourbon. We've missed you. We can't wait for you to come back out to Nashville and share pours in person, but we will substitute this night for now to hold us over. Well, thank you so much for having us. Been looking forward to this for uh, several weeks since uh, it's been put on my calendar, so it's, uh, it has been a long time, and uh, we got a lot of catching up to do pleasure to see you guys again and the intro is like we we never left so it's great to be back and thanks for having us again you know it's one of those things like my boy back home i was just home i haven't seen him in a couple years but when i was there it's like i saw him yesterday you know love it good stuff there's been a lot that's happened at old elk since we last talked i think greg the last time we really got to talk was probably mid 2020 and then i know you know, we've kind of been following everything that's been going on, but everybody got on the wheat craze at Old Elk. That That's what they were talking about for the longest time. I know you have a project that we're going to talk about now, which is the Infinity uh, project that y'all have been doing. But tell us a little bit about what Old Elk has been up to, the products that have been coming out, those weeded whiskey and the weeded bourbon. And I will just sit back and relax and drink this side beer that I brought in honor of Greg being on because I could not do a podcast with Greg without having a side beer. Oh my. No. So yeah, uh, again, since we talked last, it's been uh, every bit of 2020. And I think uh, you know, the last podcast we did was uh, just a, well, the first podcast we did was just that uh, quick 10-minute extemporaneous one we did when we were uh, doing the single barrel picks. But it, at that time, we, uh, you know, had just more or less launched Old Elk Bourbon, and we're just entering into our single barrel program, I think, at that time. And, uh, you know, then COVID kicks in and, uh, you know, really puts everybody uh, back a solid year and a half. but. You know, since since we you know first met and since we did our first podcast, why uh, you know we've uh, subsequently have launched the weeded bourbon, old elk wheat bourbon, and the old elk wheat whiskey, which uh, came of age uh, in the last uh, year. And again, those are just like old elk flagship bourbon are very custom Asheville's relative to other whiskeys in those two categories that are on the shelf. And uh, we really went to the extreme on those mash bills. So uh, the weeded bourbon uh, is a 51% corn, 45%, uh, 46% uh, wheat and uh, four or five percent malt so we took the wheat bourbon we took the wheat to pretty much the absolute max and then i uh, really had the same mindset with the wheat whiskey uh, you know a lot of wheat whiskeys on the shelf are in the neighborhood of 51 percent wheat and two maybe three cereal grains in that mash bill but you know we we took uh, our wheat whiskey mash bills 95 percent wheat five percent malt so it's uh what i call the, the real mccoy so those two products came of age. They're uh, five and six years old, probably approaching six and seven at this point. But we, uh, you know, as as we watched those 
two mash bills mature, we really had hoped that we would launch them at the four-year mark uh, like we did Old Elk Bourbon. But uh, frankly speaking, neither one of those mash bills was ready uh, at the four-year mark. You know, the wheat bourbon uh, really came of age at five years old, uh, but the wheat whiskey at five years old was not ready. So we added another year, uh, looked at it again, and uh, at six years old, that product was also ready. Both really, really nice uh, products. They're, you know, obviously two different categories. And, uh, you know, that rounds out our base portfolio with you know, a high high wheat content bourbon whiskey or a high malted barley content bourbon whiskey, sorry. Then we, you know, we have the high uh, wheat content bourbon, wheat bourbon. We have the high wheat content wheat whiskey. And then we have the staple uh, 95% rye, high rye, rye whiskey mash bill. So uh, that's really where we built our foundation. You know, with that, then we're starting to expand our portfolios with, uh, you know, other other products along the way. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about one of those uh, later on or very soon uh, tonight relative to, you know, our expansion into the industry and and offering our consumers uh, new and innovative things that uh, carry the old tradition of being different and world-class quality products. I want to go back to the weeded for a little bit because it's funny, Luis, I don't think you're going to get mad. I I think it's been enough time that we could actually tell this story because I think the weeded was four or four and a half years when you first sent it to us. You said, listen, this isn't a podcast episode. Just I want you to take a sip of it and tell me what you think. Zeke and I both had it. We went back to you and said, I just don't get anything. It's not good or it's not bad. I just don't get a lot of taste. And then, Greg, I want to ask you about that because, I mean, you are this tremendous source of knowledge within the industry and, and all the work you've done and all the experience you've done. What is it about wheat that just takes it long? I mean, once it gets to that point and I feel like it gets to the point and it clicks and all of a sudden everything's okay. But up until there, it's like, you know, I'm not really just getting much. I I taste kind of whiskey, but there's no flavor bomb. It's just, why is that? I'll tell you frankly that, uh, you know, it's it's been a, uh, a learning curve for me as well. I, I crafted these two custom ash bills for Old Elk, five and six, well, probably longer than that ago now. But but in any case, I mean, I, that was, again, uh, another first opportunity to craft custom ash bills in the wheat whiskey and the wheat bourbon category. Uh, that We didn't have either of those two uh, it, in, in the Seagram portfolio that, that I grew up on. And, you know, a lot of the whiskeys that are uh, a lot of the brands that, that that we cater to as contract distillers were always the staple uh, Seagram bourbon and, and rye whiskey mash bill. So frankly speaking, you know, it is a big learning curve for me as well. As I said, we I had hoped that they'd be ready at four years old. And uh, again, neither one of them was ready at four years old. And, you know, in retrospect, I, I will tell you that I think it a lot has to do with the, either the low corn con or the no corn content uh, is really what sort of changed the picture a little bit, requiring to, to uh, you know, need more of the barrel note to really carry it. But uh, the other thing that I found interesting is that it actually opens up things so that uh, you actually may see uh, other flavors and and other congeners that uh, you've not seen before. 
it's because the, the corn content in the mash bill being low actually has less ability to mask other congeners that are in there, but it just overwhelms them. So in many, many ways, it's it's been pretty exciting to see both of these products develop uh, from the four-year range to the uh, you know five and six that we launched them at. Now they're approaching six and seven. And uh, I will tell you true that both of these products are going to get better and better and better with, with more age. Again, they're, they're ready for market and they're quite good at the five and six year mark. But, you know, for me, bourbons, uh, four to eight years, I, I consider the sweet spot, at least in the areas that we've been maturing those products in. But I think uh, I think the wheat bourbon and the wheat whiskeys are going to be more like the six to 10 year range. So uh, it's, it's really been exciting and it's been a, a big learning curve for me as well. For once, uh, John and I might actually be on the same page because one of the first notes I'd, I'd written down question-wise, and he usually gives me a hard time for chiming in late once I cherry-pick things, but uh, I really just wrote down, well, what was it like playing with wheat versus all the years at LDI? Because at least for me, I, I don't remember much coming out of LDI that was wheated, so it's fun to hear you go there, and I, I certainly appreciate that. And then I guess this is like a twofold kind of question thing. It seems wheat's pretty stubborn and it's not ready until it's ready but when it's ready damn she blossoms up real quick real fast i would love to hear kind of the i guess before and and somewhat after tales or or anecdotes you may have from someone that did anything and everything under the sun at seagram's and now playing with wheat which has got to be fun i guess but i don't know i'm excited to hear some of your thoughts on that from a, a mashing and distilling standpoint, wheat can be more difficult to mash and ferment. Uh, it, it has a, a propensity to foam. And anytime you have foaming during fermentation, it's going to be detrimental to the quality. And, and one of the things uh, that really helped me along the way was all the experience that I gained during my 38 years in Lawrenceburg, uh, making the 95% rye, 5% malt mash bill, which is uh, an extremely difficult grain to deal with as well from for the same reasons. Uh, rye and wheat share many of the same characteristics. And uh, as experience would have it, or maybe luck would have it, depending on who you're talking to, but really everything that we learned about how to deal with the 95% rye mash bills and all the uh, difficulties that come with it actually transpired directly to the 95% wheat and 45% wheat bourbon mash bills. So, you know, we had, I'd like to say maybe we had a head start on a lot of folks in the industry because of what we learned through all our experiences uh, making that 95% rye mash bill. But then again, you know, once once we put it into the barrel, I mean, I, uh, you know, at the white distillate stage, uh, there's, at least for me, there's really no way of predicting, you know, what descriptors are necessarily going to come out at the end end of your aging process. So the only, the only thing that, based on my training, was we always evaluate white distillates. We're always looking for quality defects that would affect the distillate coming out of the barrel. So, you know, the distillates going in were very clean. They did not contain any of the uh, quality defects that we looked for. So I knew that the product going into the barrel was good. The mash bills, uh, they fermented well. The distillate came out well. And, you know, based on that, we knew that the quality of the product coming out of the barrel was going to be what we expect, uh, world-class quality spirit. But there was no way for me to predict, you know, necessarily what descriptors were going to result from the different mash bills. And uh, again, that, that goes back to what I said earlier about 
all that being a learning curve for me as well. And again, I what I found is that, and again, we talked at four years old, they were just light. They didn't have enough the barrel notes to really carry it because uh, the wheat provides a, a lighter distillate or a, a less robust distillate, if you will. The corn content in mash bills is really what brings the really robust bourbon characteristics uh, to the table. And when you reduce those and uh, use other grains, and then you're going to see other components that those grains bring to the table. So again, it's been exciting and uh, I'm still learning. So, you know, you, you never knew everything in this industry. Every day you're in, you're going to learn something. And uh, I continue to do that. How much was the, I guess, the worry curve? Because I feel like with rye, especially you mentioned 95.5, at two years, you kind of know like, all right, these are going to get really good or, well, wasn't our best effort, but it's still a good product. But I, to me, at least looking from the outside, as the wheat progressed, like, well, all right, we're at this age. Hmm, not quite there, but I swear we did this damn thing right. Like, when's it going to be right on the back end? <laughs> Well, again, again there, there's really uh, no way to predict or pinpoint, you know, when any given product's ready. There are so many variables, for one, as you guys well know. I mean, you know, where they're located in a warehouse, the type of warehouse, the climate, all that plays into it. But, you know, at it, it, the four-year mark, you know, they were coming along nicely. It, it wasn't like they were like, you could tell they've been in a barrel. So, you know, I knew there was good progress going on there, but... Again, when you look at something, you just know it if it's ready or it's not ready. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's some things like that are hard to describe. But at the five-year mark, uh, then the wheat bourbon was, was yep, that extra years, it's ready. And then, again, the wheat whiskey at, at five years was still didn't have enough bar- barrel note to really carry it. So, again, we waited another year and checked them out. And, uh, you know, at, at year six, it met the mark. So that's what makes the projects like that fun. Yeah. And, and sorry, maybe that, that's on me. I guess it's just kind of the perspective of I feel like for us outlooking on most things progress on more of a linear curve, whereas wheat, it just suddenly seems to like turn and blossom. <laughs> so I, I feel like in the sense of like, you know, you're tasting it over and over and, you know, years have passed. I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's getting there. It's getting there. All of a sudden, like, oh, wow. I don't know what happened in the past, you know, three or six months, but damn, yeah. this thing is good to go. And I'll tell you true that we've we had uh, the same learning curve and really similar experiences with our cash finish programs. Uh, we look at them probably every month after the first three months, and three months depending on which casket was, and some were really getting close to being ready, and others were lagging behind. And then you almost went through a period where the quality actually kind of goes negative for a while and then then you look at it like a month later or two months later and it's like like you're saying it's like the thing just blossomed and it's boom it's ready so we're doing things that that we're still learning about as well but you know at the end of the day what we put in the bottle is is uh consumer ready and it's uh certainly worthy of the quality that we expect uh with the old elk name on it so all good stuff so i do want to ask Luis, I think it's interesting from management's point of view. You know, you're looking at projections. You might have to go talk to a board. There's stuff you're thinking about. Your futures, in and of a sense, are we're going to release this at four years. And then you put it in the bottle at four years and it's not where you want it. How's that work on your end? Because you're kind of providing Greg that air cover to go just make the whiskey and do what he's got to do. But somebody has to be in 
answering to somebody for something for the money. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You know, and that's the complex part of running a business like like a bourbon business and and having a great team behind you to be able to give you the perspective on where they feel the product is at at the time. You know, I think it really starts at the beginning. Uh, at the beginning, when we started, we made the commitment to ourselves and to our team members that we were going to do things the right way. We weren't going to rush products to chase dollars, right? You know, you hear uh, the plans around, well, let's chase the dollars and then the behavior changes. For us, it's always been about, let's build the plan, let's work the plan, the numbers will come. And sometimes that plan has to be flexible. And that's why we take the approach of being incredibly disciplined, but never rigid in our business and always going back to what our commitment was, which is a commitment to provide excellence in this industry and to provide quality products that come from Greg and the team. And so, you know, it is a constant, uh, it's a constant swivel. You know, you've got your your items that we know we're going to be good at four years, like herbal industry bourbon. Uh, we've got our wheat bourbon that we know we're going to be good at five years. And and yeah, when we sent you that bottle and I sent you that bottle at, you know, at four and a half years and you get some feedback that you're not really hoping to hear <laughs> because you have it in your revenue plan. And then you hear feedback in the sense that the voice of the customer is very strong, right? And you guys are a customer and you're a partner and you're friends. And it's one of those things that you have to be willing to listen to and have the gut to handle. Uh, you know, this this business is not for the faint. You know, who who goes and invests millions of dollars in the barrels and then you wait four years to launch it all while it's evaporating and you're losing a little bit here, you're losing a little bit there, you're tasting them here and there. And then you go to dump the barrel and there's only 30 or 40% left in the barrel. But you know, I think it's it really comes back to our commitment from day one, which was not launching a product if it's not if it's not ready, making sure that we're doing things with value and providing the value to our consumers. And quite frankly, just staying true to who we are around innovation and and, uh, building plans and following them and not chasing things. And nobody gives something to Zeke and I expecting us to have a quiet voice. (laughs) Uh, We will will let our voices be heard either way. You go to truth, right? Truth, the truth will set you free. And that's what we look for, truth. And we certainly knew we were going to get it with you two. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a uh, send it out and, and hold on tight type deal. <laughs> Along those lines as well. I mean, constructive criticism is, is invaluable in this business. And, uh, you know, you, you like Louise said, you, you have to be willing to take that information and use it positively. Uh, and uh, so, you know, when we do things like that, we do appreciate candid, honest evaluations, and it's, it is invaluable to us. Sometimes you need to have a conversation that is tough because you build relationships and because not all the relationships are there just when a microphone is going. Sometimes you need to be able to give that constructive criticism. I think it's also how I didn't think this whole thing was going to go here and I wasn't planning on it. And this has just kind of happened, but I think it's an interesting conversation as a brand. What is the best way to get that constructive criticism from the community? Whether it's a drinker, whether it's a person who has an Instagram page, a podcast, a vlog, they're streaming. What do you prefer and how does it help you when you get it? Like, what are the things that you're looking for with that criticism that you're going to take back and you can improve on? Well, for me, it, it just, uh, I'm looking for validation of, you know, 
what I think of the products. And, you know, it, at times, maybe I know too much about it. And I've been too close to it. So, you know, sometimes my viewpoint could potentially be clouded. I mean, I, I, I always know a good quality distillate and I always know a good quality product coming out of the barrel. But beyond that, I, I can't predict who's going to like it, how many people are going to like it or anything like that. So when I think a product's ready and, you know, we have, we have the uh, luxury of being able to get candid, constructive criticisms from folks like you. Uh, it just helps me validate, uh, you know, my thoughts on our own product. So, you know, uh, if, if it matches up, yeah, great, we, we hit the home run. You know, sometimes if they don't match up, then it's like, well, uh, maybe I need to go back and, and reevaluate it and uh, move on from there. So, as you know, everybody's palettes are different. They're like fingerprints. Everybody has them, but they're all different. So what I think doesn't really matter so much. It's it's what the consumers think because those are the folks buying. You know, that's the funny thing, too, because if we're giving criticism, we're only giving criticism for the two of us. Like, who the hell are we? Our palettes are trash anyway. I know Zeke's going to be like, speak for yourself, but. No, I would just simply say that, I mean, at this point, one of the most enjoyable parts of tasting whiskey amongst a group of friends, no matter how large or small it is, is simply like when you get to the point where you can understand what someone tastes or perceives and if they like it or they don't or what they get from it and also how you relate to it. Because then you're suddenly speaking a common language or bond, like that's not my jam, but you probably knew it wasn't going to be mine going in. And if I describe it as this and you perceive this, we're all still speaking the same verbiage. That's our relationships with some of our favorite stores uh, as far as Tark at Elixir, uh, Wes at Frugal. We don't agree, but we all understand what we're saying and, and, and what's going on. It's like, oh, I mean, when I poured you that. I knew you weren't going to like it. I just wanted to hear what you'd say to see how on spot I was or, or how off I was. Because then we're still dialed in and we're friends and now we can move forward. You know, like to me, that's it's the nerdy side of things, but it it's how you can move forward and, and grow. It's not just, oh, awful. Hated it. What'd you hate? I don't know. It was awful. <laughs> or, man, that was amazing. Loved it. What'd you love? It's great whiskey. Greg really said it well when he said it's a, it's a validation thing, right? I think... Uh, to, to be someone who wants to go out or a company who wants to go out and provide their own gut checks to themselves, right? To see is, is what we're thinking, what other people are thinking, I think is a is a big thing. And, and again, the voice of the customer, you heard me say it earlier, it's, it's, it's everything, right? It's, it's who supports us. It's who helps us drive our business. And we need to listen. Um, and with that comes knowledge, right? And it comes trial and you start to learn things and you try things. And sometimes you take some risks, uh, that's all part of it. But, you know, at, at Old Elk, we're very big on being super close to our consumers, our customers, our followers on Instagram, whatever it might be. And I mean, you know, we we listen. And uh, I think if you come to our distilleries, you'll see all the notes from our customers. And most importantly, you know, all the single barrel stickers, you know, we celebrate them at Old Elk. We celebrate the sticker culture and we have them up and we celebrate those who who support us and who give us the opportunities. So it's always important to give the platform for the people who are buying our products to voice their opinions and, and voice their thoughts around the product. And we'll continue to do that. So the finished series, how has that gone and, and what has been the, the various receptions? Because I think a lot of folks do it and a lot of folks do different ones. And that's literally some of my favorite conversations with people is, have you had this and this finish or that and that finish? 
what was your favorite and why? And sorry, people can't see it, but I'm holding my hands up like three inches apart. All right, this is the parameter for good whiskey. Off my screen are my arms of this is the parameter for great finished whiskey that people are going to enjoy. Like it's just jovial to talk to folks about like, oh, that that one was your jam. Well, this was mine. <laughs> we're always about innovation and we're always about kind of pushing the needle. You know, I think you've seen that with some of the cask finishes, you've seen that with some of the other products that, that we've come out and you'll certainly see that with some future products. But I think it's about letting the innovative mash bill that we have in our high malt showcase itself across several different platforms, you know, and, and Greg will be able to speak to, to the cask finishes, but it's where can that mash bill go and, and what does it add to the unique finishes that maybe, you know, other high corn or other type of ma- uh, bourbon mash bills out there do provide in a cast. So being one of the very only, you know, high malt bourbons that we are, why not take the innovation a little bit further and see what it does across different casks? Yeah, and, and for me, I think uh, that category is much less polarized than uh, maybe the uh, traditional whiskey categories. We've offered cash finishes in, in four distinctly different categories with the Armagnac, Cognac, uh, Tani Port, and uh, Oloroso Sherry. So much less polarized, I think, than, than uh, other products we have, which, again, makes it pretty exciting because uh, you get a lot of different variation that you can uh, offer to the consumer. And, you know, obviously, they have to make up their own mind. You know, I've got my favorites. Uh, for sure and you know everybody should but uh, uh, again they're they're very uh, very unique and very distinctly different there's four uh, finishes so it's it's really again it's been an interesting and a very interesting play Uh, you know the quality of all of them again is quite nice but uh, they are absolutely uh, distinctly different and i'm glad you brought this up and I, I wasn't really thrilled with Zeke's transition to it, but it's okay. I'll, I'll take it. I was very excited, though, to transition into the finishes. You know, what made you think to use these finishes? You have, like you said, you have an Armagnac, a Tawny Port, a Cognac, and an Oloroso Sherry. What made you decide to have those four? Uh, in this case, it was uh, uh, very much a uh, team effort. The marketing folks had uh, a lot of influence uh, based on, you know, their knowledge of the market and their knowledge of the consumers. Mel, our uh, production manager, who's a a brilliant mixologist, had a lot of influence on uh, the four different types. And, uh, you know, really, this particular project is really more about them than it really is me. I, uh, you know, obviously had a hand in, in uh, you know, doing the samplings and evaluating them as, as they, uh, you know, went through their cast finish uh, maturation. But frankly speaking, you know, uh, Luis and, and marketing and, and Mel had uh, a terrific amount of influence in choosing those categories. You know, one thing about Old Elk is, is and I say it over and over, you know, with, within within the company is we're family. And uh, it was it was a family decision, an old elk family, not necessarily Kurt and Nancy, uh, the family, but uh, you know that's that's really what makes 
Old Elk and our employees so special is, is we are like a family. You know, we, we can sit down at a table and, and kick around ideas and, and make them gel, and then we can actually bring them to fruition. So uh, I, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, there's a lot of other folks in the company that, that have as, as much influence as I do, and, and that's all, you know, we count on. That. There's really no one expert within our company. We all have our own responsibilities, but, uh, you know, everybody's input is as valuable as the next guy's, and that's, that's really what makes us so unique. Except if you're the CEO, you get a custom background for your video <laughs> conferencing meetings. <laughs> Just got tired of seeing the blinds in the background, so I had to change that. Everyone else has... Zeke's got these beautiful doors with this. <laughs> Greg's got these beautiful old dog bottles. You've got to have a, a makeover of some of the signs that you have on your wall. We'll fix that. Yeah, but John hey. needs a uh, he needs a distracting background for his face. Let's be honest. <laughs> Zeke's always in the game. <laughs> he got mad at me for being overzealous, and and normally I say I get called out for not enough questions, and tonight. Why is he talking so damn much? He's he's messing up my flow. No, I'm so I'm messing myself up. Admittedly, I had a travel day from hell the other day, as Zeke knows, and I feel like I am just hitting the wall now. Like I've been going hard this week. I came back. I had to get right into it, and like I literally feel like this moment now, and it's not the moment I want to be hitting the wall. So you're fine. <laughs> So while we're on fields, another uh, random thought I have, because I get a little ADD at moments. But Greg, I'll kind of assume you, you've probably followed or seen Rodney Dangerfield over the years. Mm -hmm. And something that comes to mind is uh, Back to School. I loved watching that flick. I still do like the triple Lindy. And, you know, it's funny. But I wonder at this point, you know, after everything you did with LDI and, and Seagrams and whatnot, and now kind of reinventing things, stepping into new spaces, how much does this feel like, uh, you know, the doctor or, or, or you know, professor, et cetera, is going back to school and learning new things? And, and how much fun is that? Uh, it's a tremendous amount of fun, actually. And uh, it's really bringing my career full circle. So, up to the last two years, um, when we started into the cash finishes and, and some of these blending programs that we're, we've put together, I mean, prior to that, Luis and I were on the road like road warriors for two years as we brought Old Elk Bourbon to market and then, uh, you know, acquired distribution in 50 states over about a two and a half year period. So I was never it. it you know, the first 38 years of my career, I was never part of sales, never part of marketing and didn't know a hoot about distribution. So, uh, you know, in the last five years, I've got I've gotten a good exposure to those three arenas, which I would have never had under Seagram, Pernod or LDI or MGP. So uh, from that aspect, you know, I've, I've really gotten to see the business full circle. And then, as you say, uh, you know, having the ability to do custom mash bills, which I never, never had that ability under any of the four prior owners that I worked for. And uh, Old Elks, the company that gave me the latitude and the opportunity to do that. So what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity if, if you've been in the business as long as I have. Where I'm taking this is that at this point, I, I want Old Elk to be my legacy. I, I want my career to end 
bringing Old Elk to the table and bringing the brand to the table and making it as successful as we possibly can. Greg, I know Zeke had a couple other questions on there, but I want to talk a little bit about the cask series a little bit more because this is something, it is an Armagnac, it's a port, it's a tawny port, it's a cognac, it's an Oloroso sherry. This is something that you released last year and you could still maybe find some on the shelves right now, but are there plans to do this in the future? Are there plans to think about any other cask finishes that Old Elk might use or is that something? that Luis, I should ask you because you're the one kind of given the the marching orders as to what finishes they have to Greg has to put on the bottle. Well, I think first it's not really about marching orders and what has to be done. I was joking. I was joking. You know, what does the business need and where do we go? Uh, And then the marching orders come. No. uh, um, You know, I think for for us it's going to continue. We had a, a great response from our consumers and customers. We had great adoption from the product, uh, but we're going to take it a step further. You know, this year we're going to offer those same style casks on the first half of the year this year uh, in a single barrel program. And there's really only about 25 or what, Greg, 25 or 30 casks of each mm-hmm. uh, yep. pretty much very important. So between 25 and 30 of each. And so, you know, we're excited to to take the cask finish program to a more personal and intimate level of a program like the single barrels are. And so we'll we'll del- we'll deliver cast single barrels in the first half of the year, and then we'll have some new casks launch in the second half of the year. Um, and you might see one of Greg's favorite and one of his favorite rum casks. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see how that comes out. We're always looking to do something new and innovative. So I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. You know, we uh, have got our eyes on uh, trying to source some exotic woods, some exotic wood casts. So uh, I, I would say just stay tuned. But uh, we'll continue to, to be innovative for sure. How many barrels, Luis? You you talk about single barrels. How many barrels are we talking about here? And what do we have to do to get an Armagnac one? Lucky for you, we haven't launched a program yet. So we've got barrels. Uh, and you know, we always take care of our supporters as always and, and all of our new customers. But we've got, I want to say, 27 Armagnac barrels, roughly, give or take one or two. Um, and so one, one's got your name on it if you want it. And then all of these pretty much have about 25 for each type of finish that you're looking at, or they're less for some other finishes as well. I would say there's average 25 for each finish. So put them on the spot. Consumers will count. They will. But, you know, he's going to find a way to, like, find an extra five if he needs to. <laughs> like, I just so happen to have these barrels. There's always a little magic and a couple of barrels tucked away in the warehouse somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why there are brands that are dedicated to finding barrels at a rickhouse, right? <laughs> That's um, it. That's it. We came, across, we came across an NOG not too long ago. What Greg calls an NOG. What's an NOG, Greg? Nectar of the God. <laughs> Nectar of the God. We found one. Is that one that did not go out to anyone else, or did you let it happen? Well, it's tucked in the corner for future use. <laughs> Locals I- only. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, the fact there are a lot of people that are going out to Fort Collins now, and I think that's the biggest difference than I've seen now opposed to in the beginning. Y'all had to do this road show. You had to go everywhere and bring samples with you. It's finally getting to the point where people are hopping on a plane, going out there and actually going to the distillery. What's that been like, that change? More Luis uh, in and how people are actually going to old elk opposed to you having to come to them. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's really fun to see. I think it's a really incredibly exciting thing for our team to experience uh, the teams, you know, behind the scenes who are working so hard every day uh, to put the liquid in the bottle and to cut it down and to get it in a box and to ship it out the door. So many things that have to happen beyond the transaction of a, of a bottle. Uh, but I think most importantly, you know, along with our team, you know, seeing them so excited about it, seeing the excitement on our consumers' faces, you know, they come and it's a, it's a very genuine experience. You know, we tell them right away, hey, look, there's no commitment to buy a single barrel. I know you came here today for one, uh, but there's no commitment to buy one. We're just excited to share our story and spend the time together and, and share our innovation and what we're excited about and be excited about it together. You know, if a barrel purchase comes, it comes. But most importantly, you know, we're, we always talk about being beyond the bottle and it's about hearts and minds of our consumers. And there's nothing better than seeing a consumer say that they celebrated a big moment in their life with Old Elk. Not talk about how good Old Elk is, but say it was part of their moment. And we hear a lot of those stories when they come to our, our warehouse and our distillery uh, in Fort Collins, and it gives us an opportunity to connect just a little bit closer. So, you know, and, and all, it's been incredibly fun to see the, the wave coming and the momentum shifting. Um, and I'm very excited and proud of the team for them to experience a brand that's come from an idea to a national brand in, you know, three and a half years. And so very proud of them and, and excited to see their faces every day when they get to experience it. And then from my perspective, it's just a completely and total personalized experience. That's, that's about the, uh, the easiest way I can describe it. And it's, uh, it's heartfelt from both sides and it's just a lot of fun and it's extremely personal. Good stuff. No makes, script. Makes memories. <laughs> Greg, we know you had the, I guess the keys to the car to begin with, but then with this infinity blend, I don't know. I was trying to think of what the, the, the metaphor or analogy would be for on the backside of things. Clearly this was, you know, your innovation and, and your baby, so to speak. So lead us through this one. And I know, and I'm sure a lot of the, the folks listening to this that pay attention to bourbon know you, you did some similar things with LDI and had Metsy Select. And yeah. there, there's only one one guy with that last name in, in bourbon. So <laughs> there's no confusion. That the lead up to the story on this one would be uh, quite memorable. Well, it is. And uh, again, this this has been a, uh, a really... It's been a great project, and it's been tremendous fun. And it's, uh, in some ways, I, I guess I think of it as up in the ante. And uh, I, I will tell you that it represents my best work to date after this one. And it's my goal to continue to raise the benchmark and beat the benchmark. But uh, again, this the story behind this one, uh, of course, everybody knows sort of the concept behind Infinity Blends, I think, but where they, you know, they uh, continue on and on and on and on. And 
Generally, they contain some of the uh, blend before, which uh, we intend to do. But that's not to say that this blend or the next blend is going to be anywhere similar to, to what we put out in 2021. So always look forward to uh, seeing something different in the next Infinity blend. But uh, it's it's always going to be built around old elk products, and we'll, we'll do our best to use the vintage old elk products in this blend. Uh, it's absolutely a super premium blend and with that being said it's, it's going to be our goal to to uh bring a super premium product to market and uh, so the story behind this year is really it's uh kind of twofold it's it's built on legacy and it's built on tradition so uh really the the legacy part was my first infinity blend uh, with old elk and it really has to do with uh, the legacy of my 43 years in the business and counting. So, you know, I, I love love what I do and I, uh, I look forward to uh, doing it every day, just like I have when I started 44 years ago. And then the the, uh, the tradition part with this one was really the tradition of uh, Old Elk Colorado whiskey and blending it up with some really nice vintage Kentucky, Kentucky bourbon. So, you know, that was the thought process uh, at the inception of the blend. And, you know, as it was, we had uh, two really, really nice vintage Kentucky whiskeys in our inventory. Uh, uh, one brand was 11 years old. The other brand's 12 years old. You know, I wanted to do a blend uh, around, you know, those three traditional whiskeys, Colorado and uh, vintage Kentucky whiskey. So, I did probably uh, four, maybe five different uh, renditions of the blend using those three components. And I'll tell you true, the one that I thought was going to be the home run absolutely was not the home run. I may have said it earlier when we were talking about other things earlier. As I went through the the different blends, uh, one of them always just stuck out. And it was like, that's the one, that's the one, that's the one. And it wasn't it wasn't the blend ratio that I thought it was going to be. And it just goes to show that regardless what you think and regardless of how you think they're going to marry up, they don't necessarily marry up uh, the way you conceive it in your mind. But uh, in going through the five different ratios, uh, uh, the one that we arrived at is the one that is like, man, that, that's it. That, that's the home run. And uh, the ratio wound up being 60% uh, six-year-old old elk bourbon, 24% of the uh, 12-year-old Kentucky bourbon, and 16% of the 11-year-old Kentucky bourbon. And uh, we're bringing that to market at 114.9 proof, essentially cash drag. Now, that is awesome. One question I had before we kind of talk about this whiskey even more, how does this become the infinity? Because... For those of you playing along at home, an infinity bottle never ends, right? You're still pouring stuff in. Eventually, your bottle gets full. But in reality, you would think you would have this infinity barrel. Is some of it left back or held back so that you can then add to it for the next year? Yes. So we we will hold back uh, a portion of the blend, and that'll be used in the 2022 version. Um, Actually in the process of trying to source uh, the next vintage whiskeys that I'd like to use in the 2022 blend. And uh, hopefully I can find what I'm after because it's uh, another killer concept. Have you all thought about doing like a Solera barrel for it? Or is it something where you're vatting it and putting it to the side or something different to hold on to the stuff for next year? 
I think I'm going to leave that as proprietary at this point. That's fine. We're allowed to give you some secrets. We'll we'll give you some other ones. No, it's okay. I told you we're not journalists. We're just dorks. Like we don't ask because we're trying to break any news. (laughs) Zeke, did you try any of this? What do you think about this pour? I have. I've um, I've been slowly nipping this throughout the show, actually. My notes here are a little interesting. I would say it's very progressive. And my thoughts on that, you know, after a few nips would lead me to believe that has to do with the, the blending, layering, however you want to describe it. John and I have played around blending a little bit, but by no means am I going to compare either one of us to uh, the experience Greg has, and I'll stop right there. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Might even message him for advice one day, but we'll leave that there. I I thought initially it was very bold. It has a grip to it. It's not overwhelming, but the first taste has a very big pop. The second popper taste lends to familiarity and it it resonates very well. You get a very good viscosity. It's very creamy and sweet. To me, it reminded me a a large deal of like a a cream soda. And by that, obviously like heavy vanilla, heavy caramel, the things you get, you know, if you ever had A&W cream soda off a soda fountain, cans are okay, but soda fountain's a little bit better. Don't care who you are. And there's some nice tannins that like on the third or fourth revisit, they slowly appear and show themselves. And for a blended product that, you know, people, you know, like to say is folded or layered in together and, and set up to be a, a story, this tells a really damn good one. And that's me being very candid. Interesting thing for me on this, the nose is so sweet. I think it almost noses like a honey finished whiskey somewhat. Well, you know, I've been lazy and I, I haven't been nosing as much. I'm, I'm just going straight off the palate. So I, I, I need your compliments there. I see Zeke continuing to take sips, <laughs> but it's the same level every time. So I'm wondering if he's continuing to take the sip and refill it. <laughs> take the Man, you know, it's it's funny with folks, you know, you talk about picks and tastings and things. And in the past year or two, I or we have gotten to where even on picks, I'll taste. And unless it really excites me, I'm using a, uh, you know, a spittoon, whatever. Like I want to stay fresh. I, I want to get as much as I can. But at the same time, it's amazing how much you can get from, you know, a, a thimble, like communion size pour. It's probably the best reference to use for some people, but you don't need a ton to understand the product, what you can get from it. And I think those subtle sips, honestly, like, yes, when I'm off air having a good time, I, I'm not too subtle, but if I want to <laughs> focus and give someone my attention and, and what I really think, I try to give them that. So it, it's funny to me how little you can get and how much you can extract and, and give when you really focus your your you know your mind to it. And Louise, just a point of clarification for you, just so you know how this has worked since the the pandemic started. So pandemic started, Zeke and I started recording virtually. Then we kind of got lazy and realized that 
we could record virtually pretty much for everything. And like interviews, if we could get the interview in person, we would much rather do that. Now, this video chat is good enough and and we have such a rapport and a friendship with you two that we don't necessarily need to be in the same room to still crack jokes on each other and have a good time. But I will tell you what I do is... Whenever the mail comes in and I literally pour Zeke a sample in a Boston round and then I'll drive up to his house or he'll do a drive by down here and I will literally give him a box full of two ounce samples. That is why it looks like the same level. He has taken pulls from the two ounce Boston round. Oh man, you could have given him a little bit more than that. He's drinking straight from the bottle. I'm telling you, man, if I, I, it's it's such a weird inverse where if I care, I'm drinking very minimal. If you see me with this and I'm just going, yeah, I didn't like it. I put a bunch of water in there and I'm just trying to get through it. <laughs> Trying try to be respectful and not waste it. I get it. And if Zeke wants more, he knows he can always come and ask me. What I would say on the palate for this one, at least for me, is I got a fair amount of the rye spice. And I think there was a pretty good tingle here. I know your regular mash bill, I believe, is 15% rye. But I feel like some of the Kentucky bourbons, one of them had to be a higher rye bourbon because I do get a pretty good tingle. And this is just me guessing. I could be right or wrong. I mean, 15% rye in the grand scheme of things is not necessarily what the second grain would be. Or even the third grain, you know, you normally see a a 20 to 30 rye content, especially with you, Greg, coming from LDI. You have the high rye mash bill, you have the low rye mash bill. Which one do you want? Well, I I think in this case, probably the composite rye content is is probably going to be, I'd say, probably a little short of 20%, probably. Which Uh, isn't terrible in the grand scheme of things. Right. No, it's it's uh, you know as you said the uh, some of the Kentucky bourbons had a little more rye content than the Old Elk bourbon, so uh, I'm not surprised that you see a little more spice than maybe uh, you you would in the Old Elk uh, flagship bourbon. But I love it. I love this Infinity Blend. I think it it's complex. I think it's different. There's a lot of good stuff going on there. So I will say, very interested to see where this is going to go next year and how that release will go then greg i would say congratulations you knocked this one out of the park but what else are you knocking out of the park that we might not know about yet what else is coming down the pipeline for old elk right now well actually uh funny you should ask that question (laughs) no seriously uh uh, right on the uh, coattails of infinity blend actually We've started a uh, another series, a master blend series, to to go along with the Infinity Blend series, and uh, very soon uh, you'll be seeing a four grain blend and a double wheat blend, and both of those are going to be hundred uh, percent Old Elk products. So what's really cool is our Old Elk custom mash bills give us tremendous latitude relative to being able <coughs> be able to blend really really nice extensions, if you will, to our uh, four core categories. So definitely look forward to both of those. I will tell you that uh, both of those are what you would expect and they're excellent as well. Coming soon. I think we're actually probably dumping barrels for the uh, double wheat this week. So so double wheat, is that two separate wheated mash bills then? Uh, 
Or you don't have to tell me. I, I, he I doesn't want to tell you. He, it's fine. I, I get it. I, I'm a auditory visual person. When you well, let your mind, let your mind go as it will. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it, as long as the quality <clears throat> standard keeps up, which yeah. I assume is is the ultimate goal and the benchmark, I don't think anyone's going to complain. So I, I'll right. trade you, trade you that. Now, as I said, the, both of those blends are are all using all of the old elk core whiskeys. So I won't necessarily tell you which ones for which blend at this point. But uh, Luis is welcome to. I just I have to be careful. <laughs> so I, I, I'll tell you guys. You know, I think when it comes on the Masters Blend series, the way you know the way we think about it and what you'll see things come out. And uh, I'm sorry for not a hundred percent corporate answer here, but you know, you don't get one of the best players in the game and hand them a fully baked playbook, right? <laughs> you uh, you get the plays you need to have as a business and as an organization, and you open the playbook up and let the experience lead the way. And uh, and I think what we did and what Greg was able to put together with the team is, you know, in our double wheat, it is, it is a mix of our wheat mash bills, right? Wheat bourbon, wheat whiskey, but there's some unique ages in there that we've been holding back. And then it's going to be the same thing for for um for four grain and you know as far as the proofs go on on our double wheat you know we listened loud and clear over the last year and a half everyone who's enjoying the wheat bourbon and everyone who's enjoying the wheat whiskey and you know we we heard a lot of comments and we were put into the arena with a lot of great brands out there uh, that have created great names for themselves and done a phenomenal job and it was an honor to be talked about in in that type of and that type of ring of arena, but, you know, we've got a double wheat coming out. It's 107.1 proof and it's going to be really, really nice on the market. And I, and I look forward to everyone's uh, feedback and, and seeing that really come to market. So as Greg mentioned, we're dumping barrels this week. The, the warehouse smelled fabulous uh, this morning and we'll continue to smell that way here in the future, but we're excited about it. I just want to say, I know Zeke has a question, but before he jumps in, it's really like you got yourself a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning and they can audible on command at the line rather, you know, you give them a play, but you also say, Hey, if it's going a little sour, you, you could go to this one or you could go to this one. You know, part of being a, a good leader and a great leader is you hire those you trust to lead the departments. You let them do what they're great at. And, and like I said, we've got the plays that we need to execute for the business, but we've got an open playbook when it comes to our master's blend series. So uh, nothing can nothing can substitute time and experience, and quite frankly, what you know what we feel is one of the best in, in, the, in the business. Well, and in that spirit, and also, damn, we should do this more often because it flows really good. The one uh, big other note I had to to ask Greg was simply, at least I would assume at Seagrams and LDI, there was a lot of repetition. Not many variables are, are fun to be had, and in, in as far as experimentation, but you're getting to have a good time now. Which one of these has been your most memorable or, or where would you say like the, the, I wrote funnest and I don't think it's a word, but oh well. well what has been your funnest experimentation yet? The correct English is most fun. Look, I do what I can. <laughs> That's a uh, tremendously unfair question, uh, but, <laughs> but I'll, I'll answer it. Uh, as truthfully as I can. I really, the truth is all of them, for one thing, because each one of them has been completely different. We've developed mash bills in 
four very different uh, whiskey categories and the mash bills are incredibly different than anything else on the shelf. So, uh, you know, right off the bat, you've got, I don't know if you want to call them experiments, you've got four experiments there that uh, are appear to be uh, quite successful. You know, then, then we go into, uh, you know, other things that we're, we're doing to expand and, and extend our portfolios like the cash finish. That's, that's as we talked earlier. That's been a, a really uh, interesting and fun learning curve for me because that's something that uh, that's, that's brand new to me. I've I've never done it before. Uh, and again, Old Elk has given me tremendous latitude to utilize my experience, but also you know use my abilities to to help the team. And again, it's a team and it's a family. Uh, you know, put together new things for the consumer, and the consumer is always first. Everything we do is is not for me, and not necessarily for Louise. It's always for the consumer. But Old Elk's DNA has has always been to be different than everybody else, and bring world class quality products to the table. So, you know, and anything that comes under that umbrella is fair game. You know, that's that's what we've been doing really uh, since I since I uh, produced these products uh, four to eight years ago, and uh, you know that's what we continue to do as uh, we have the ability to use those products in various ways to expand the consumer's horizon. Well, we can't wait to try all the new stuff you've been doing when it comes out this year. We'll be sure to talk about it. And let's not wait this long. Let's get you back in the fall and talk about how those releases went this year. I think we always just kind of find ourselves slipping in very easily to just familiarity whenever you're on and, and whenever Luis is on. So we thank both of you for joining the program tonight. When's that stuff going to drop again? The four grain and the double weeder. Double wheat will be shipping here probably by the mid of mid March. We'll be shipping at double wheat. And then towards the end of March, we'll be shipping four grain. So both are, are limited time offerings. We're going to do a really small batch um, of each and then uh, move on to two other products. So we're excited to launch these two. And I know Greg's excited and the team is excited uh, to bring these to market and, and showcase some of the new ages that you know the consumers haven't seen yet coming from from our core products so uh we're geared up and ready and excited to, to keep it going forward yeah and uh, the, the packages are again drop dead gorgeous so everything about it it's world class make sure to follow louise and greg everywhere old elk is served they're on old elk on all the socials tons of people are posting about old elk so if you're not seeing old elk on instagram as soon as you open it uh, you're using instagram wrong but if your name is Zeke and you don't necessarily know how the internet works, you can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open and honest review like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? I'm going to ad lib and just say, man, it's been too long since uh, these four people have sat down. That, that's where I want to leave this show. Won't be as long in the future. Uh-uh. Cheers, y'all. Friends. Indeed. Thank you. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you for the time today. We appreciate it. Ciao.